Welcome to Ideas with Purpose, a podcast about companies and their leaders who are approaching their industries and the world differently. I'm Robert Dowling, founder and CEO of Hudson Cutler. On today's podcast, I'm talking to Lynn Power, CEO of Masami, a company that has created a line of botanically hydrating hair care products. Masami is being recognized as a leader in innovation around natural ingredients, sustainability, and clean beauty. I spoke to Lynn via WebEx from our Soho headquarters in New York City about her experience as a leader across industries, a person who has broken a glass ceiling, and an innovator building a company during the most challenging times. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us. I, uh, I love talking to you. I know uh, we, we have had much to discuss when it comes to you and Masami. So I want to jump in with a little bit of context. You've been leading marketing companies for, well, quite some time, but hair care is quite a departure. What, what motivated you to take on the CEO role at Masami? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Super fun. Um, and so, so great to um, have like a, a, a business conversation um, that everyone <laughs> can hear instead of us talking to ourselves. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I've always been around beauty for a really long time. So um, throughout my career, I found myself kind of bouncing back to beauty at various moments. Um, you know, I... I got a glimpse when I worked at BBDO when I was working on Gillette, but that's not really mm -hmm. beauty. You know, that's, that's more sort of CPG. But then I went and worked at McCann and I actually worked on L'Oreal, which I ran all their oh, hair care business. So um, that was super interesting, but also a really difficult job because uh, L'Oreal is sort of known for not having a very positive mm -hmm. culture <laughs> and, I think I did it for a year on the on the nose and uh, moved on. But then when I was at Arnold, again, I found myself working for Clinique. And then we ended up doing a bunch of work for Nexus, which is mm -hmm. a salon hair brand, and Noxima and St. Ives and Vichy and a whole bunch of stuff. So it's not as much of a departure as it, as it may seem to, uh, to jump into launching, you know, our, our own hair care brand. And I think um, for me, it was more about sometimes it's just serendipity and timing and karma. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And oh, I, I I hear hear you. What I what I'm hearing is that you didn't find Masami. It kind of found you in the same way that uh, hair care yeah. and beauty has been throughout your career. That's a great way to put it because that is the truth. It was like I wasn't out looking to launch a hair care brand, but. I met James uh, through my husband, as you know, and I was highly um, cynical about just the whole thing because, you know, James has basically worked on this for 10 years on his own. And I either thought he's crazy or he's a genius. <laughs> and, and? Um, so at first I was like, he's got to be crazy. I mean, who does this? Who works on this for, because I'm sure you know, like I do, there are people who never see the conclusion. They just like the process, mm -hmm. you know, and they can just continue on and it's never good enough and you never get to anywhere. So I kind of thought, is he one of those types, like this, you know, crazy scientist, madman kind of person? But then he told me the story of kind of how he um, 
was really fixated on why he needed to create these super clean, hydrating hair care products. And then he gave me the products to try and I was hooked. So from there, um, James and I kind of got thrown together with my husband, but I, I always say like, it would never have worked if he and I hadn't clicked. Now, now Lynn, that, that so what's so striking to me about that, and I know James, James Hammett spent uh, a decade developing this, this product. He is, um, a very strong personality. He is, uh, brilliant and he's, he's, he's ebullient. He is just, I mean, amazing guy, but he's really a very, very different person than you. In fact, your personalities are, are almost opposites. (laughs) You know what? It's sort of true, but it's sort of not true because he and I are like family now, right? Like we've Mm -hmm. gotten to know each other so well that, um, he has an intensity for sure, for sure that, um, that I don't have. I mean, I do, but not, it doesn't come out in the way his comes out. Um, but we share a lot of the same values and that, that to me is key. You know, you know, you know, being on the same page about what we're trying to create, the mission, the values, um, we are so aligned on that, that it makes everything else fall in place. You know, we, we, really don't disagree on the fundamentals at all. We both are big believers in, you know, diversity and that the importance of that sustainability, giving back to the earth, like all the things that I think make the brand what it is, you know, those tenants are, are things that we are completely in lockstep on. And then of course, you know, yes, we are very different people in terms of our, our personalities, but I think what I've learned or what I've realized um, is that it's it's been really complementary actually because we have such different skill sets yep. that we don't trip on each other really at all. Um, and you know, he's in the process of working on our next innovation in the pipeline, mm. and he is literally the same James that you know, maniacal, yep. intense, focused. He is applying that to this innovation. And I, I, I'm, I'm super impressed because I don't think I could do what he's doing. I mean, he analyzes these ingredients and researches and tests and tests again, and he's got people on your team testing it. I just did another one yesterday and, and he takes all this input and he manages to boil it down into a really, really tight brief for our chemist that makes the products like really good, you know? So he's got this talent that is, is I think quite unique because he's not a chemist, you know, he's not a stylist. He is a student. I mean, he really does pay attention and he wants to learn everything. I love, I love this um, conversation about uh, leadership and partnership because really in a lot of your roles previously, you've been kind of out there, at the, at the front of the pack on your own, and you've had to make the calls on your own. Have you had this kind of partnership? Is this a new learning experience or, um, are there experiences in your, in your past where you can, can look to and say, Oh, this was a similar kind of situation. I mean, I think my best situations work-wise have been when I've had good partners around me, um, for sure. Um, and I'm somebody who likes working in a team. I don't like being the, the, the sole person, you know, figuring everything out. Cause I know that 
I don't have all the answers. You know, I need to surround myself with with other smart people um, to to make the right decisions. So I would say when I was at Arnold, that was a really good time. Um, I did that for eight years. I ran the office for five years. We grew it fivefold. And my partner there was John Staffin. And we were, again, like a great partnership. I was a creative business person and he was a business-minded creative person, you know? So (laughs) if you think of the Venn diagram, it's like we kind of met in the middle, but we had our own skill sets. And it's like that with James. We're we're a similar Venn diagram where we have the mission and values, but we, you know, he does all the sort of intense hair research and product stuff. And, and I do the business and, you know, marketing and branding stuff. So, so I have had that experience in the past where I've had great partners. I will say it's not easy to come by though. When I was at JWT, a lot harder, a lot harder, um, a lot more people sniping at you. I mean, I remember going in there my first week and people were nasty outright nasty the 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 executive team nasty and um that took me a little bit of like wow okay so this is what this is going to be like yeah and you really have to have a thick skin now i was lucky that you know i was able to work with some great people there you know brent Choi was great um mm-hmm. uh matt baker was great you know we 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 definitely built our own little little team but the culture you know was was a tougher culture to crack yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, 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 you know, those were also very difficult times when it, uh, when it came to being a woman in an industry, ironically populated mostly by women, um, but at the executive level, and there's still a lot of diversity issues within the holding companies and certainly big agencies like, uh, JWT, what, you know, in terms of your experience as a woman in advertising, um, what, what, I mean, was that a liability? Did you not pay attention? What, what are your thoughts on that? I used to think it was a liability because it was very easy in when I was younger in my career for me to sort of be overlooked, just, I would be working hard and other people would get promoted because they were asking for it or they were more demanding or whatever. But then I learned as I got more senior, um, I actually felt like it's great to be underestimated. It's one of the best things that can happen to you when people underestimate you, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I I can't tell you how many times, dozens uh, of times where I would meet with somebody for the first time, either at Arnold or at JWT, happened more at JWT. And the person would actually say out loud, oh, you're in charge. Like you're the CEO. <laughs> oh God. And I go, yeah. And I ha- even had one guy, these are the things you don't really forget because they just stick with you. I had one guy who was a search consultant who was in talking to us about a, a healthcare business. And he starts off with that same question. Oh, oh, like surprise. Like, oh, you're, you're the CEO. And I was like, uh-huh. And he goes, do you deal with the money? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yes, that's what CEOs do. And he was like, Oh, and you deal with WPP? And I was like, uh-huh. And he kind of was like, oh, like it like he, he couldn't process it. It yeah, was so yeah. like, but I I actually have learned to really enjoy that because yeah. um, you know, when the bar's low, you know, it's like Yeah, there's nowhere to go but up. But yeah. At the, 
at the same time, that also comes with uh, experience and time in. And for a young woman CEO who may not have the longevity and the experience that you have, that could be a very different uh, uh, situation. Um, but so now you're now you're client side. Uh, how, how is that uh, in terms of a big leap from uh, agency to to client? Well, I figured I'd either be my best client or my worst client <laughs> because you know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're on the service end of it, you're always like, Oh, I can't believe they made that decision. And I can't believe, you know, so now it's sort of like, okay, I'm, um, I'm eating my own dog food if, if you know that expression. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I have, I have to say it's been, it's been great because I have a great team around me and, you know, I think my experience, my longevity in, uh, in advertising, has made it really easy for me to make decisions. You know, like I just don't fret about stuff. We just do stuff. We move on. We try it. If it doesn't work, we do something else. You know what I mean? And um, I I feel like a lot of younger founders who I've met with a bunch, I've mentored a few, you know, they just don't have that um, confidence in their, in their, in their decision-making abilities because they haven't been through stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I know there's sort of a whole side of the investment community that looks at me and I had this experience again directly where they say, oh, you're too old, like, you know, too old, underestimated again, Lynn, I know. And again, I love it. Um, but then there are those in the investment world who actually say we love experienced CEOs and experienced founders because, they get shit done. There's no drama. It's just easier. So it's like two camps. I feel like there's the camp of people that like the young, the young, cool hipsters. Yeah, and, and then, then and, and then the others who seem to be in the minority. Uh, one, one of uh-huh. the, the, there's so much conversation around diversity these days, and uh, rightfully so. Not much of that conversation is focused on ageism, which is a really um, big point considering where we are uh, generationally with uh, millennials as such a massive generation moving into more executive roles and um, kind of a, a seeding of power from boomers and, uh, and, and Xers. I know. And I, I actually, you know... Ageism is something I'm starting to really hit my head against. Um, And the irony is I always looked young. I still look young, right? So, you know, people will always be like, wait, you're how old? Um, Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter. It's like our, I still say our as if I'm in the industry, but the advertising industry, um, I think if you're over 40, you're basically dead. You know what I mean? Like, yep, it's yep. not like, uh, it's not like it's like, oh, you can go till you're 55 and then there's ageism. No, it pretty much starts in your forties. And so you really got to like max out your time, um, and try to get what you want out of the industry because there's a point where it will cast you out and you won't really have a choice. <laughs> sadly, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a problem for sure. And it's one of the reasons, frankly, why I was sort of done with the whole thing and I'm loving being in charge of my own destiny, yeah, you know, and just taking control back because like, yeah, it, it, it really, it really is. I mean, my, my experience is, uh, is similar. Um, although there is some tension and conflict there, uh, but getting back to, um, 
Masami and all the great things that you're doing there, um, I want to talk a little bit about innovation because Masami and what what you guys are doing is interesting because the product itself is innovative. That 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 the approach, the formulation, and what have you, but also what you're doing around it with the business and with the marketing, um, with, with every element of the entire package, especially considering, you know, you've launched in effect during a pandemic. Uh, can you talk a little bit about innovation and how it works on a lot of different levels with Masami? Yeah. So I, I don't really think of it so much as innovation. I think of it more about like just what you have to do to launch a modern brand these days. So like, for example, you know, it used to be that DTC brands were pretty purists about being DTC direct to consumer. But, you know, for us, I'm like, no, we're DTC plus. That's what I call it, which means we have a retail presence, a brick and mortar presence and salon partners. And I just think it's super important to think holistically because people want to touch, see, smell, experience your products, um, especially in beauty. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're cutting yourself short if you're only going to be online, you're only going to sell on Amazon, whatever. So I think from the get-go, we wanted to create, you know, a real experience for our customers. And so we have some great partners. We're Intangible Collective, which is, you know, um, Seattle, Columbus, Tampa. We're in Adderton in LA. We have a great partnership with Spoken Wheel. We're in their eight salons nationwide. And we're, um, I'll, I'll announce it here, but we're doing a, another partnership with Dream Dry that's going to launch next month um, and doing co-branded products, which is super exciting. So we've got a lot of cool things like that in the pipeline. But the other thing that we've done, which um, I found one of the more fulfilling things so far. And there've been lots of fulfilling things. So it's been great, but the partnerships with other brands, like other female founded brands, other indie brands, that has been really rewarding because we've really been able to band together amidst a crazy time. You know, as you said, we're in a pandemic and it's a hard time for everyone, especially small brands. So We've created some really good partnerships with other like-minded brands, whether they're clean beauty brands, like we do a lot with Cassandra McClure and her clean beauty kit, or um, or other brands that are part of some of the um, retailers we're aligned with. We're also part of um, Boutique, which is um, like a 3D virtual store. We're one of their first brands. So um it's been really great meeting and aligning with some of these other partners and really helping each other. Yeah. I, I, I want, I want to ask you more about the fraternity or sorority of uh, female founders and um, influencers and what have you in the space. But you also hit on something that in hair care is particularly poignant. And that is there just aren't a lot of young, small brands. You are facing the behemoths that have in some ways a stranglehold on salon and retail and other relationships that you have to sort of elbow in on. How, how is it uh, taking on the Goliaths in this industry? You know, I think the industry has shifted so much towards consumers really demanding different things. They want, they like indie brands. They like exploring and experimenting and finding new things, the discovery process. 
and they want clean products. And, you know, 90% of hair care in the U.S. market is still not clean. And all the big guys, not clean. They may have a clean skew, a clean line, but overall not clean. So I think in a way, it's paved the road for us to have those conversations with the spoken wheels of the world because they're looking for alternatives and they're not finding them with the big guys. So when we actually started talking to Spoken Wheel, they're in a beta salon. They've only had a beta since they launched about six years ago. And they had been trying to find another alternative to a beta that felt a little fresher and more modern and never, and haven't found anything up until us. So, you know, that, that to me was just awesome on a number of levels. It was just felt super validating that, you know, this high-end precision salon expert loves our products and loves our brand and feels like the performance is the best she's seen for a clean, clean hair care brand. So that, that's definitely a powerful testimony right there. Yeah. In terms, in terms of, uh, this new place in the ecosystem of women who are making their own calls in terms of not just the products they're going to buy, but the influencers they're following and the brands that they are aligned with and the from conferences to beyond. And we've never been in a time where that um, force of women in this country is more important as we head into November elections, et cetera. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experience tapping into that and and creating, in a lot of ways, Masami's created a cult following amongst those women who are already really passionate about the product. Yeah, I will say, um, like everything else, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. You know, there are female founders who are like-minded, supportive, um, helpful, you know, will provide feedback and advice. And then there are ones that are just not. Um, so I'm part of a number of female founder groups and you just have to find your tribe within those, I think, because like I said, not everybody is as generous. Not everybody wants to share their, you know, secret sauce and their marketing tips and their this and that. Um, but when you find people that are, it's awesome. And, and it really does help lift everybody up. And I think um, the women that get that, um, you know, are really creating some amazing things. And there are, a, like, to your point, a lot of female founders right now that I've met that are doing really cool things, cool things in the wellness space, um, cool things in fashion and beauty, cool things in tech. Um, so it's, uh, it's pretty promising. I think it's kind of an exciting time, actually, to be a female founder. That is, uh, that is good to hear. And hopefully that the, the wave of that momentum will continue. You are, uh, challenging in many ways, the status quo, uh, the status quo of an industry that's behaved a certain way, uh, the status quo of audiences and how they buy and the kinds of products they buy, both in terms of the efficacy, but also, uh, things like uh, sustainability and clean. Why is it so important to challenge the status quo and what are the dangers of doing so? Well, I think um, the, the big place that we're trying to push 
is around clean and sustainable, right? And um, it's so important because people don't realize just sort of how toxic um, some of their products are. And, you know, when you're thinking about personal care products and beauty products, you use them a lot. You know, you're basically rubbing shampoo, which has um, many, many products have detergent, which is really bad for you, into your scalp, which is one of the most absorbent parts of your body. So um, from a health perspective, you know, there's a reason that our population has become overrun with allergies and with, you know, other health issues that didn't exist 100 years ago, really. So I do think, you know, educating yourself around why clean beauty and why that's important is, is really good because you can find out for yourself. The challenge, as, as you're saying, of like, you know, poking the bear, um, there are no standards in the U.S. for what clean beauty is or means. And everyone defines it differently. So, you know, that's one of the frustrating things is when we have conversations with Credo, they go, oh, but you have the silicone in your shine serum that's on our dirty list. And then we look at the EU and the EU says, no, it's not a dirty ingredient. And our chemist says, no, it's not a dirty ingredient. And so you just have these different points of views. Um, and it's hard to navigate. Um, but I think the smaller brands like us are the ones who are pushing the change and pushing sort of the big guys to get get their shit together. Because at some point, you know, there will be some regulation around it, which will be probably good for everybody. I mean, just for perspective, the EU bans something around, I think it's 1,400 or 1,500 ingredients in the U.S. bans like 50 it's like wow. shocking. Yeah. So now, you know, the, the, yeah, the, the expectation of consumers and I think even more broadly of the country in general is that um, the traditional forces of regulation, uh, the legislative, the enforcement agencies, they're not enough. And so now more and more eyeballs are looking to businesses. They're looking to the corporate side to lead on all sorts of issues and not just on the regulatory front, but on issues like diversity. Um, yeah. what, 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 what are your thoughts in, in terms of that? Yeah, I, I think that's right. Because by the time the regulatory stuff gets sorted out, it'll be years. I mean, you know, that's just not a quick thing uh, by any means. And so I do think um, it's about corporate citizenship and stepping up. But it's just easier when you're a small brand to do it because you can set that up the way you want from the get-go and make it part of your values and your ethos, as opposed to if you're L'Oreal and you have a lot of brands in your portfolio that have been around for a long time and are not clean, it's hard for you to come out and say, we really care about clean. You know what I mean? Um, so I think, I think what's happening though is the beauty industry, a lot of the big guys are recognizing they don't have the capabilities in house to really do some of this stuff or their system or their, their corporate uh, culture just weighs them down or the gravity of that makes it hard for them to innovate at the same level. And so the beauty industry has become a real hotbed for acquisitions and that's how they grow, right? They'll buy the little cool, um, innovative brands that are doing things differently, 
um, so that they can have that capability, but they have a long way to go. I mean, the, like I said, the, the L'Oreal's of the world, there's a lot of things they're trying to do and innovate around, but um, clean beauty is a tough one. Um, just yeah. given, given their portfolios, you know? Yeah. And I, I know we're running short on time and I want to ask you uh, one more question, but first in terms of that uh, M and a or that acquisition culture, there is a sense that uh, the big players acquire hot up and coming uh, in some cases, innovative brands and then destroy them. I see that all the time. I used to see that when I worked on those brands Um I think there's the perception that, oh, we're going to learn from those brands and try to apply some of that to our own culture, or or it's just a short-term thing. You know, They acquire it for the, the cachet of having that in their portfolio and being able to say they've got a clean skincare brand or whatever it is. Um, but it is definitely a danger that um, if you're if you're on the other side of that um, and you get acquired, it's usually a pretty bumpy road, I think, unless they leave you alone, which, you know, it depends on the culture, I think. And, the, and the, you're, you're going to have to you're going to have to write that into the contract. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Lynn, what does the world need now more than anything else? Empathy. I think empathy is huge from. I think empathy is is something that we need as humans, but it's also something we need as leaders, as business leaders. And when you have empathy towards your customers, towards your you know fellow indie brands, um, towards your retailers and your partners and the salons, I mean, boy, the salons are going through so much stuff right now. Um, I think that can take you really far just to be able to really understand and appreciate and listen and react and respond with empathy. Yep. That is a great answer. And this was a great conversation. I always love talking to you, Lynn. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Uh, Very enjoyable. And that is a wrap. I want to thank Lynn once again for her time and insights into the world of hair care, beauty, and beyond. You can learn more about Masami at lovemasami.com. And you can learn more about Hudson Cutler and listen to all the Ideas with Purpose podcasts at hudsoncutler.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.